0: Hey everyone, welcome to Dance Colleges and Careers, brought to you by InstaDance. Professional training to dynamically style your technique, stage presence, and confidence. My name is Brittany Noltzmeyer, and I'll be your guide to helping you find the perfect college for you. Dance Colleges and Careers is here to provide you with information about different colleges, what to expect, and how to find the right college for your dance style. Go to instadancecoach.com with any further questions, and follow me on social media at instadancecoach. I-N-S-T-A-D-A-N-C-E-C-O-A-C-H. Let's hit it. Hi Noelle. I'm Brittany, and it's I'm super excited to have you here on the show. Thanks. Noelle is is the chair of the dance department at Mercyhurst University up in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Great. Can you tell us
1: a little bit about your role at at Mercyhurst? I've been on the dance faculty for 17 years. I've been the chair for two years, and I teach ballet and point technique, and I teach kinesiology for dancers. I've taught dance appreciation. Non majors, and I teach lava notation, intro to lava notation every other year, and I teach a course called liturgical dance concepts and perceptions every other year. So I I bounce those two back and forth. I spend most of my time teaching, but then I'm also coordinating a dance department of about 70 dancers, performances and other classes. We have various degrees and just kind of make sure everything runs the way it needs to run.
0: Amazing. Yeah. So let's start pretty basic. And then I want to talk more about your lava notation because that's quite unique to your Catholic school. Okay, so just briefly, the majors, we can find them online, but you have a BFA or a BA in dance, correct? Mm -hmm. And then you can also, if you'd like to switch and get a concentration in pedagogy,
1: that's possible too, right? You can get a concentration in pedagogy um, if you're on the BA track. Okay. You, You can't get a pedagogy concentration on the BFA track. It's just the credits get too complicated.
0: The BFA major is for dancers who want to pursue a career in performance?
1: Yeah, basically anything else that they wish to do. My favorite question when um, the dancers come to audition and the parents, my favorite question from the parents, what is my son or daughter going to do with a degree in dance? It's my favorite. And I basically turn it right around and look at them and say anything they want. Mm -hmm. So they can, you can have a professional performing career. You can have a choreographic career. You can have a teaching career. You can also be a doctor or a lawyer or a real estate agent or a teacher or a mother. I mean, you can, you know, the transferable skills that a BFA in dance or a BA in dance gives you really kind of sets you up to do just about anything you really want to do. The majority of the students that have the BFA immediately upon graduation have a performance track that that's where their head is. And so there are various sizes of companies and commercial work and and all kinds of stuff all over the map. But but it sets you up for anything.
0: Absolutely. Okay. I loved your answer on that. That was very good. Yeah, because that's what parents are always asking. What can you do with this?
1: That's. A, I mean, that's what my father asked. So, you know, way, way, way a long time ago when it wasn't such a thing. And it really, I do. I have alumni who are performing mm-hmm. even after many, many years, they're still performing. And I have some who performed for a very short time and then went on to other things. I have three alumni who are lawyers. I have at least one who who's a, I think she's a surgeon at this point and a couple, several nurses and some physician assistants and you name it, they, they do it.
0: So would you say that if you decide to go on and further your education and become a surgeon later down the road, would you say that you with a dance major, you'd be a step behind, or would you be in the same place as everybody else who's received a bachelor's?
1: Pretty much the same. It it depends on on where you really want to put your focus while you're in school. I would say probably two thirds of our dance majors also have double majors, and so they're they're having a second major in another area, and those are as varied as their careers when they get out. But we have we do have some who have double majors in biology or in you know in the various sciences and even some that minor in some of those. And so depending on how much you do during your undergraduate career will then dictate how much more schooling or, you know, where you sort of start in that next phase once you get out. So they're they're all a little bit different just depending on how much they wanted to do.
0: Okay. Let's talk about Mercy Mercyhurst just a little bit. Can you give us some, some quick facts just about the school? Because online, it looks stunning. It looks beautiful. I saw it was started in
1: the 1920s. In the 1920s, this is correct. It was started by the Sisters of Mercy. It was an all-girls school started by the nuns, and they they had a was like a high school, you know, boarding school type of situation, and then added the college onto that, and it kind of grew out of all of that. And the Sisters of Mercy, all of their underlying goals and dreams and driving forces are still heavily embedded within the in the university. All of the the mission statement and the this, that's what we strive to do. In about in the early 70s, the school went co-ed. And yep, yeah, the school went co-ed in the early 70s. And to my knowledge, still to this day, there are more females on campus than there are males. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. There are approximately mm, just shy of 3000 students. Oh, okay. It's not a large campus. And it's sort of when you see pictures of when it was originally started hurst means hill And so it was not, you know, we're in Erie, Pennsylvania. So we're way up on the lake. We're on the the university's address is 38th Street. So basically, that means we're 38 blocks from the water. When the university first started, that was actually sort of out of town. That was, it was not in the city proper. And so it was up on this hill. So today, it's, we're certainly surrounded by the rest of the city. It's not Out in the boondocks anymore, but if you go up on you know the top floors of some of the buildings, you can see the lake, and it's kind of neat. So it's still sort of up on a on a hill. It's in its own. It's not like a gated community, but it's not you know in a center city type situation like many universities are. It's all of our things, so it's very quaint. So all of the, the pictures that you can see online it is, it's, it's very quaint. It's very, the flowers and the plants and the, it's beautiful in the summer. And we always joke that, you know, it's too bad the students aren't here in the summertime to see, (laughs) you know, it's in all of its glory, they get to come back when it snows, but you know, that's the way it is. It's a, a school that, it's a liberal arts education. So, so that's the, um, and everybody, you okay. know, the, the core curriculum is very strong in the liberal arts. And so everybody, regardless of your major, has the same requirements. And so they're, they're all taking philosophy and psychology and religious studies and, and English and history. And everybody's taking at least a touch of all of those things because you just, you'd need that. In today's world, I mean, in any world, I, you, you need to have a base knowledge of some of those things. It's a liberal arts university, uh, rooted in the in the tradition of the Sisters of Mercy. I remember them telling us, even when I first started working there, you don't have to be Catholic to go to that school. You don't have to be Catholic to work at that school. You don't have to, you know, not at all. But but they will follow the core values of the sisters. It's a nice place to be for that.
0: Okay, so that's what I wanted to ask about the students who are coming. Are they are they mostly Catholic? Obviously when the school was started, I'm sure probably like 100% Catholic students. Are those numbers still pretty high? Are the students coming to Mercyhurst because they have that shared religious
1: value? Both actually. The students, you know, what we hear mm-hmm. from them is that they they want a smaller institution. They don't want a giant university. They want a smaller university. You know, people know their name. They're not a number. They're, they're actually a a human. Right. And I don't, you know, I don't want to knock any of the big universities. I did my graduate work at a big university too, but you know, and just depending on where you go, there, there are some fabulous, wonderful places at our university. People know your name. You know, you go walk into the registrar's office and they know your name. It's it's not a, a number. Many of the students, probably when they do polls, the majority of the students are Catholic, or at least they, you know, identify as being raised Catholic. There's no church attendance requirement. Mm-hmm. A very large, beautiful chapel on campus that is active and had their service every Sunday. There's During the school year, there's service every morning. I've had some students who are faithful and go every week. And I have some students who can make it through four years without ever walking through that door. You know, so it just depends, <laughs> right. depends on the student, but whether or not the, the, you know, religious aspect grabs the students, the fact that the sisters of mercy are respect, caring for the poor, caring for the less fortunate, social justice, and, you know, these kinds of things that just should make people more uh, decent humans. Those are the characteristics that people come for, as well as the, we have a strong dance department. So, you know, based on that, or people come to study, you know, intelligence studies or psychology or whatever they're looking for. Mm -hmm. But the the overwhelming response that I hear from students is they come because it's smaller. They crave something that's, that's a little bit smaller. Some people do. And they appreciate the words behind and and how we're striving to make decent humans. Absolutely. Yeah. The values of the
0: school. All right. So, so you uh, talk a lot about like being involved in the community. Do they have any community service projects?
1: The dance department, they are required service hours for the first three years that they're there. The numbers sort of decrease, you know, as they get older, how many service hours they're required to do in the community and also within the department. And so we encourage them to get out there and and get those hours. But usually, and then by the time they're seniors in the dance department, they're not required. It's not part of a requirement anymore. But usually what we find is on the whole, the seniors end up doing more service hours than anybody else because by then they're so used to it and they enjoy it and they understand the value of it. And so we don't have to ask them anymore. You know, you don't have to require them anymore. They just do it. Yeah, that's awesome but the school has is is based on service i mean that's one of the core values usually with the incoming freshmen right off the bat before classes even start during welcome week they usually load everybody up all the freshmen they have service day on a bus and they go to various places throughout the city and they do service they just they pick a time and day and they take these kids this year that's gonna look a bit different. I'm not sure what that's gonna look like, but I'm sure they'll find something to replace it or some sort of online caring of some I'm not not sure how, but but usually that's one of the biggest things that I know the the student life staff and the the older students who volunteer their time with the younger students. That's what they look forward to is to get out in the community and you know with the with the young kids or elderly or you name it, they're out in the community. Awesome. And so yeah, so we we try to steer in the dance Department, we try to encourage, encourage them to do their service that's required in the dance department. Do your service with at least an arts organization in the community, if, if not dance specific, just so that they get that experience as well. But you know, that doesn't take anything away from the food kitchen. It's certainly an important thing. But we try and steer them a little bit more into the art. And many other departments have service hours, service components of their courses. And they learn, they, they learn how to do it. And, you know, again, by the time they're seniors, they're doing it and then they graduate. And then I hear from my students years later, they're still doing it. Yeah, that's incredible. That's cool.
0: Okay, so this might be more of an admissions question, but maybe you know too. Nowadays, when we're growing up, we're told to, or encouraged, maybe that's the better word, to do community service. And you know, as hmm. someone who's still young growing up, it, the reason is, so you get into a good college, right? I gotta do my community service so I can get into a good college. Do you think that is something that Mercyhurst is really looking for? Or really colleges in general, are they
1: really counting the hours students did? The most honest answer is I don't know because I'm not on that end. You know, I know from having a high school daughter right now for some of her, the honors program that she was accepted into, she had to do so many service hours. I don't know that that, and at this point, you know, she's still young. They just know that they have to do them. They're not being told you have to do them for a certain goal. You just have to do them because it's good for you. You know, so... You know, I would think it would depend on, I mean, I look at when, when I look at, at a student's application, I'm basically deciding whether or not they're accepted to the dance program. I'm not deciding whether or not they're accepted to the university as a whole. In our university, they have to be accepted both. So they're accepted to the university and then I get to see their dance portfolio. Okay. And application and audition and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes it shows up on a resume. Right. It just kind of to me lets me know what kind of person they are. It doesn't That's not going to make or break whether they're accepted into my part of the university. Maybe if you were, you know, I don't know, going into social work, going into, I mean, I honestly don't know if people, that's a requirement. Maybe people just say that so that everybody does it. I don't, I don't really know the answer to that.
0: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll find the answer one day. Do you wish you had that focused, personal touch to pinpoint your exact trouble spots in your dance routine? Learn to unlock your waiting potential and rise above the competition with your own dynamic dance stylist. Why waste hours and days practicing without a step-by-step strategy in an action-packed plan created specifically for you? You'll see great improvements in just the first week. Fire up the fierce dancer inside with our detailed yet focused program where you can attain results that usually take dancers months. Click the link in the description or email Brittany at instadancecoach at gmail.com to apply. That's I-N-S-T-A-D-A-N-C-E-C-O-A-C-H at gmail.com. Okay, so let's talk about your Lava Notation. I don't know how to ask this question.
1: <laughs> you start with start with what is it? <laughs> lava Notation is a system, a written system, a system of recording and analyzing Human movement. And it is most often used for recording and analyzing dance movement, but it it can be used for any movement you wish, walking, jogging, feeding your dog, making your dinner, you know, whatever. There, I got interested in it. I know it's kind of a, I mean, there there are whole, you know, groups that are involved. (laughs) I'm a member of a big giant conference that people are involved in it. And believe it or not, that's what I got my master's degree in, which was a little bit people look at it and go, you do. I remember my grandfather one time, all those years ago, he looked at me and said, does your mother know you're doing this? I said, okay, we won't worry about that. It It was started by a man named Rudolf von Laban way back in the early 1900s around the turn of that that century. It's branched into several things. So most people will know the Laban movement analysis, which is more effort shape. People use it for choreography. It's more of a somatic Mm -hmm. discipline when it comes to to that kind of learning, sort of the the qualities of the movement. The Laban notation is the actual movement. So it would be as similar to your, your hearing music And then someone gives you a piece of sheet music and you're going to try and play it on whatever instrument you have. That's what it's like. It's written movement for dance. So it's a score. There's an organization called the Dance Notation Bureau in New York City. They still exist. It's very small, but um, they are there. Mm -hmm. And they house... a vast library of written scores many dances many of balanchine's dances martha graham's dances paul taylor's lester horton i mean there're a lot of older older things that are uh, more classic works that are written down and more new things and a lot of uh, dances from other cultures there are a lot of a lot of chinese dance a lot of Israeli dance, a lot of, you know, just different kinds of things that were written down is it's preserved so that if you want to reconstruct it, you have to basically hire a reconstructor from the Bureau and they will send someone to your company or school or university. And that person has read the score. So it's essentially like you you give the conductor the score of the music he passes it out to the the musicians they learn it and then they perform it. The only difference in dance is that the majority of dancers don't know how to read it and so the choreo the the reconstructor has to basically reconstruct it for himself or herself and then you go into this the school or the studio and set it on the dancers just like you would any other choreographic work and coach it and it just it has all of the fine-tune you know, the things that the choreographer really wanted from the choreographer's mouth, as opposed to video now, video and, and, you know, all that is much cheaper, much faster, much more, you know, I can record stuff on my phone and send it to you. You're putting this podcast instantly up on the internet, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's a lot faster and a lot cheaper. However, if you record, video record a particular performance, and say you know whatever the piece is and now you want 5 years later you're going to use that video to set it on the next group of dancers somewhere else what what if you had the understudy in that night when that performance was videotaped what if somebody messed up and went the wrong way or used the wrong arms now it's saved for posterity on that videotape and that's the only record you have it isn't going to be what the choreographer, if you really want down to the nitty gritty, which arm and which foot and what direction and all that kind of stuff. To me, that's the, the value of it. You wouldn't use it to reconstruct a piece all by itself. You would want the videotape and, and any other pieces to use with it so that it's not just steps. You, you do an emotion to go with it and a feeling and you know all of that kind of stuff. But the notation will tell you if they sunk to their knees on one count or it took four counts. If you want to leave it up to the dancer, that's great. Then you can do that after that. But at least you know where it started.
0: That's really, that's really cool. But when I choreograph pieces, I always write it down, right? I have my own form of notation that I do and I have it in my table and I try to be as clear as possible. But is the difference here that that's my language, that's how I see it. And I hope the next person understands. And in this Lava notation, it's a total different language, almost like reading,
1: like reading the music. Like reading music. That's right. So when you, you know, as opposed to reading your language and then the next dancer's language and everybody has their own stuff, this would be like the equivalent of having half notes, quarter notes, whole notes, bar signs, repeat signs, all of that kind of stuff. So that if you learn to read it, everybody's reading the same thing regardless of whether you're speaking Chinese or Hebrew or Greek or English. It doesn't matter. It's just like learning math. Two plus two is the same in Greece as it is in America, as it is. Yeah. In that way it's very it's very international. There are some differences, like really subtle things that are cultural for instance there are some movements i know in some german folk dance when they lift their arms in certain ways the body naturally goes with it and that is for those couple particular dances if you learn them in a in that culture you would automatically do them that way you wouldn't have to be told when you move your arm i would like you to move your body also please but if you're learning that in america you would have to be told that. So there are a couple interesting things. And when those kinds of things come up, you have the score and you write it in English or French or Greek or, you know, whatever on the side, mm-hmm. you write down when the arms move overhead, the body please will move along with it. You know, you just tell them <laughs> and then you're okay. But otherwise it's just, it's like reading an, an international mathematical language. That's really cool. There you go. I just
0: learned so much. It's fun. Yeah. Let's connect this to Mercyhurst and why we're talking about Lava Notation.
1: So do you teach it at your school too? I, I do. I'm I'm preparing to teach it this fall. I teach it every other year. I just teach an intro to Lava Notation course. Ah. To me, it's, and they get through the, you know, anybody who would go and look up this stuff, we get all the way through the elementary syllabus. They learn how to walk forward and backward and sideways. They learn how to move their arms around. They learn how to jump. They learn, you know, there are five categories of jumps, what those are. Do you mean like jump, leap, hop? Correct. So, and they basically, they have, well, they have different names, but basically you can jump off one foot and land on the same foot. You can jump off one foot and land on the other one foot. Okay. Okay. You can jump off two feet and land on the same two feet. You can go from one foot to two feet, or you could go from two feet to one foot. And that's it. There are no other variations. You know, landing one, one foot to your head is not a, that's not, I don't know what that is. It's something different. <laughs> And you can write that down. I mean, you, you can. You can write all of that stuff down. So you just have to you know go through the process. I teach it. It's a full semester course. The Probably the biggest takeaway that I'm hoping that the students get from it is if they decide to continue their dancing into a dancing career, I think that learning this particular language and how to break down the steps because you're reading everything individually. It did for me anyway. M- makes your dancing much more clear in, in time with the music. Or because then I I can hear you know colleagues say, well, but what if it's improv and it's not clear? That's cool too. But then you know that that's what you're doing. If, if you if you want to be on the meter, then be on the meter. If you don't want to be on the meter, then at least you know that you are not on the meter. I mean, you know, you have to know what you're doing. So I think it would help them in their dancing to be more clear with their movement, whatever movement they're doing, clear with positions. It will also help to help their students in the future. For teaching, you can help a student break things apart so that then they can put them back together. And that doesn't, none of the puzzle piecing does not negate what you get from a full movement. That's how it has to be. And eventually, I mean, that's what you're creating. We're not, nobody creates a puzzle and you don't sell it in a box and hope that nobody ever puts it together. Right. You, you don't just have all the pieces out separately on the table. You have to put it together, but you don't put it together without knowing what the pieces are. And so that, that that's it. I mean, that's very oversimplified, I realize, but that's kind of what I hope that they get from it. I have I'm excited. I have eight students this coming semester if anybody else signs up. And the last time I taught it, I had 13, which was really cool. We could do some group dancing and, and it's very basic. They're learning very Absolutely. basic things, yeah. but in the learning.
0: Right. It's not the class to kick and turn your jump for your head
1: to your foot or whatever that jump was.
0: No. <laughs> but it's, it's a different lesson. Right.
1: And so they learn how to read it. And then they also learn how to write it, which is, that's a different skill. Um, so, And if you, if you contacted the Dance Notation Bureau, there are people who are really, really skilled in the reconstruction, in the reading. And then there are other people who are very, very skilled in the writing. Everybody can do some of both. But eventually, when you really get up into the professional realms, people kind of split. You know, that was a dream of mine way, way back I was gonna become the the notator, but that that dream flew at one point. That's okay. So now I'm now I'm using it for something else. It's all right. Yeah, it was now one you thing can... along the way. But it's really fun, you know. Get with your pencil. My All of my classmates when I was younger thought I was I was the crazy one with my pencils and erasers and yeah. graph paper, and then it's really it's just a thing. I thought, I thought it was fun. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about. You added a liturgical class to the curriculum. Yes, I did a couple years ago. To uh huh. Let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah, I am the. I'm also the faculty advisor, uh, director of our liturgical dance ensemble. The dancers audition for that just after school starts. We have auditions. We This past year, we had 30 dancers in that ensemble. Mostly we do, and we dance at churches, community, like senior living homes and things like that all over the city and the, the county, broader than that. And then I've taken dancers to various workshops and and events. So Project Dance is one of them that takes place in New York every spring. Um, I've been there many times and the woman who directs it asked me one time how many times I had been. And I said, I don't know, I have to count the (laughs) t-shirts. I don't remember how many. Been a lot but they have them all over the country and then they do them all over the world, depending on who will host them. And it's a three day event. They sort of have a a worship time on Friday. It's a very sort of ecumenical. It's not any one particular religion and they have worship time and, you know, sort of information time. And then it's on a Friday. And then on a Saturday, on the Saturday, they put up a stage. So the New York one is the flagship one. They put a stage up in the middle of Times Square and it's, um, liturgical worship dance from eight in the morning until six at night, all day long, one after the next, after the next. And yeah, it's it's the coolest thing. And so I've not only taken students, but I've actually been blessed to be able to dance on on that stage. And let me tell you, dancing on a stage right smack center of Times Square in New York is just the coolest. Yeah. It, it's just the yeah. coolest. Mm-hmm. I just can't even say. And so then everybody, they do that and you know, people come and go and come and go. And I mean, it's in the middle of Times Square. So people are wanted. Right. And then on Sunday, that's all day Saturday, all day Sunday, then they put together a whole bunch of master classes. For the students that are registered that were there dancing. And so we do master classes all day until about three o'clock, and then you go home, and that's it. And so they do it, you know, wherever they can do it. So I've taken students to Atlanta from the university, we've gone down there twice. Mm-hmm. We've been to New York, I've taken uh, Pittsburgh. I guess they went to Pittsburgh instead of Atlanta. Yeah, we did Atlanta and Pittsburgh. Okay. I've taken students to Sydney, Australia. They came one time and said, We want to go. And I said, Yeah, me too. Are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> um, but somehow we managed to get our pennies together. They helped us and we went. So we did that. All right. Um, we did the one and only time project dance. We went to Jerusalem in Israel, which was amazing too. Oh yeah, that that sounds incredible. It was incredible. really very <laughs> cool. So so I've taken well I've taken the group you know and we did fourteen. I took fourteen girls to London a couple years back, and we did a a whole concert of liturgical dance. So be, with all that, that's one of my, besides the lava notation, I'm the weird one, I know. Dancing dancing in churches and that kind of dancing is is a passion of mine. And yeah. so I s- started to develop a course because people just don't understand it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's what it is. It, it's not a dancing course. You don't have to be a dancer to take it. It's an academic course. It's called Liturgical Dance Concepts and Perceptions. Mm-hmm. And we start with history Where did it come from? Why did it go away? Why is it still around? Why did it never go away in some places?
0: Where did it never go away?
1: Um, Some places it never went away. Places like, you know, different places in Africa, Mm -hmm. different Polynesia, you know, things like that where dance is a a big, big, big part of their culture Right on Mm -hmm. a daily basis. Worship is also part of their culture. And so they have all their culture together. Right. Europe and America, that's a different ballgame. Right. Right. So. So, yeah, that's it's been about, oh, five years since I started that course.
0: Yeah. Okay. cool. That's really cool. I love that. um, Like other students can take it, too. And as you asked all the questions, I want to say, well, where did it start? Okay, and then who, <laughs> so I guess I'm ready to join your course.
1: <laughs> You're ready to get in, that's okay. Yeah, but I've, cool. I've
0: danced in several churches. I did my liturgical company when I was in college. And then and then I recently, only within the last couple of years, I've been dancing at a call, uh, at a church out here for the holidays, Easter, Christmas and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a little different because college was Methodist and this one's like, they've got the rock band and mm-hmm. the dancing's a little bit more aggressive than in my in my college liturgical company but but yeah it's a totally it's a different skill it's a different world it is but it's extremely rewarding no matter what church
1: or what faith you have it's exactly right yeah. and and the the people you know the the students that i help to learn about it and put them in churches some i've had some students who come to the university and want to be part of the ensemble because they've done that kind of dancing their whole life And love it, and then I have other people who come in and have absolutely no idea what does that even mean, Mm -hmm. and they get in it, and now they're out there doing it, and it's really can transform you. I mean, it's very, it's a very different, and that's why I do the auditions. It's not for everyone. I've had some dancers. We've had some dancers in our department who are absolutely stunning performers and dancers, and they will not do. Liturgical stuff in a church, dancing on a stage with lights and and you know black and all of that is very different than opening your soul up with the lights on where everybody can see you four pews away. I mean, it's just a, not that the stage is not difficult, but it's very very different. It's a different atmosphere. It is. It's like more vulnerable. It's very vulnerable and and not everybody is for it, and that's cool that's that's fine, but the people who the dancers that I've been able to work with, most of them keep coming back. I mean it's really interesting how they once they get in it, if they find it exciting and you know something to, they, they all of a sudden
0: yeah. like,
1: thrive on it. I mean it's really a, a need to do and I did want to get our ensemble. I was excited, but we finally have enough numbers that we can do many duets and trios and five and, you know, things like that. So that when we get email and calls from churches in town, can you come to this church on this Sunday? Can you come this, that I can basically put a a sign up on our board that says who's available on this particular Sunday. And they all kind of know all the pieces. And so we just go. I think it was on Palm Sunday. I think we, we danced and at least we were in five different churches on one day cool. for Palm Sunday, which was really cool because I had enough people that I was able to. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that was really, yeah. it's really neat. And the majority of them are Christian churches, but not not completely.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a funny story and I, okay. that I want to share and I want to know if it happens to your dancers too. So we used to uh, do you know, a dance to like a song in the service. And then we would also do a dance to some of the readings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we would practice it with like our coach reading the reading, how they would read it. Mm-hmm. And you practice your pace and you have your movements that go exactly with the words. And then you get to church and the new and the whoever's reading, the reading is totally opposite. So they either go really, really fast and you're moving so fast through the movements or really slow that it's like reach six, seven, <laughs> eight. <laughs> and yep. No, don't know, that, That's what I remember. And it was always like,
1: ah. Yep.
0: You never know what you're going to get. Oh, yeah. But it was, yeah. For, the thrill of life. The thrill, theater. Oh, it's live.
1: It's all live. The, probably the the, <laughs> the one thing that always gets me is that they, churches are infamous <laughs> for saying, can you, <laughs> can you come on Sunday, the whatever. And so you say, yes, we'll be happy to be there give just we need music and so then I get they'll send it and I get sheet music that's my favorite mm, yes that's what I've been given recently too <laughs> I and, and you know I can read music but not like that and and so when and I always want to call them and say do you think that I can just take this music and like rub it on my dancers and all of a sudden we have choreography <laughs> yeah. it doesn't quite work that way you know so that's always my favorite, but yeah, you yeah. never, it is, it's live, it's live stuff. And, but the good part about it is in church settings on the whole, they're probably the most forgiving audiences you'll ever dance for. Yeah. So unless everybody, unless it's, you know, 10 people that are supposed to be together and you really don't have a clue what you're doing, <laughs> it's usually going to be okay.
0: <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we I think we talked a lot about Mercy Hurst and the and the university and Laban notation for sure, and the liturgical program. Is there anything else you'd
1: like to add before we get out of here? Well, we have a classically ballet based program. Oh yes. and it, and it I mean that's what the audition to get in is classical ballet with point work. The dancers are on point every day, the ladies. and 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 that's that's what it's based on. We do, though require, modern classes, jazz classes. Uh, We have tap, we have musical theater. I'm working on a new contemporary course. There are a lot of other forms of dance, but we start with the ballet. And so the biggest thing I think that the students need to know is that if you want to come, you will be dancing a lot. (laughs) We dance a lot. We have, we have a nice theater. We have a couple big performances every year. But somehow the extra performances just seem to keep coming. And no matter how many times we say, guys, let's sit this one out, nobody wants to sit anything out. And of course. So, <laughs> so I tell them, you can honestly, by the time you graduate, tell me that you didn't perform enough then I will ask what rock you were under for four years because it just, yeah. everybody else is exhausted. There's a, there's a lot to do. We have a, a, modern, a modern company in residence. Our two modern faculty run that. And we have my administrative assistant mm-hmm. is actually the coach of the dance team. So they're out there for the football games and stuff like that, so if, if that's your thing. Um, you know, so the, the dancers try a lot of different stuff before they leave.
0: And your dancers in your dance program, they're allowed to be on the dance team?
1: Like, would mm-hmm. you s- Okay. They have to uh, They have to audition. They have to audition. It, it's by audition. The dance team, I would say it, a half to two thirds of the dance team are dance majors, but not all of them. Okay. So there, are, there are non-dance majors. You know, there are people who dance in this world who just don't happen to be majoring in it. Right. And so... Yeah, there are, there are others out there and they, so the, the, the cool part is the dancers are, they come in as ballerinas and, and I can appreciate that. That's after my own heart. That's what I teach. That's what I love. Mm -hmm. But when they're done, they are able to do that even better. And they're able to do so much more and, and, and then building, and they've built all sorts of other skills to go with it. So when they're out there, you know, they can be successful at whatever they need to be. That's beautiful. It's really cool. Yeah, really is. Yeah. So
0: would you say that um, everyone coming into Mercyhurst is
1: mostly from Pennsylvania? Oh, no. No, no. We have, um, no, no. <laughs> we, we do have, I mean, we do have some. We have our share, you know, down from like around the Pittsburgh area. And mm-hmm. we've had a couple over. Near Lancaster and philadelphia and and that direction, but i've I have a bunch from Maryland, around the Baltimore area mm-hmm. we've We've got kids from all over the state of New York mm-hmm. um, down New York City and Albany and Syracuse, and you name it. I've got um, kids from Massachusetts. I've got kids from Portland, um, Seattle. Um, we've had kids from California. We've had kids from Oklahoma and Arizona and Alaska, Hawaii. Um, Florida. I mean, you they're from everywhere.
0: I saw on the website, it says like 43 or 44 states and a bunch of countries too. So I was like, I wonder what are the only states left?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to go and dig. I'm from North Dakota, probably North Dakota. Maybe. We had a student from Montana. I know that. The, The majority of the university as a whole comes from sort of the, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio area, but certainly not Sure. I mean, you name it, they come from everywhere.
0: But since it's a private Catholic school, it probably doesn't really matter if they're from Pennsylvania or from New York or anywhere, anywhere else, right? Yep. Because there's no private,
1: no in-state, out-of-state tuition stuff. Let's see. Anything else you got? You can follow our website. We've always got new pictures up there and new performances. We just, I'm not sure where the National Water Dance, we just participated in the National Water Dance cool. in April um it ended up being a, a virtual offering but mm-hmm. <laughs> there it was so you know what are you gonna do but that that will get up there eventually and and we have clips from, from concerts and it's a pretty cool website. Yeah. If anybody out there is listening is Mercyhurst alum, give a shout. You know, come home and visit. Yeah. Okay.
0: So here we have Noelle Partouche with us from Mercyhurst University. And I just thank you so much, Noelle, for all that wonderful information. And if anybody out there has any questions, where can we reach you?
1: Oh, uh, you can reach us. It's dance.mercyhurst.edu is our website and all of our contact you can get a hold of the faculty on there. Just Google up Mercyhurst. You can find us. Perfect. We're there. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was cool. Yeah. Thanks, Noelle. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks so much. See you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Dance Colleges and Careers brought to you by InstaDance. This episode is edited by Brayden Grubb and myself, Brittany Nultmeyer. Theme song is created by Matthew Claiborne at Flamingo Sound and Show. And thank you to my sponsors, the Chiropractic Center of Leesburg and Claremont in Florida and Pure Hemp Labs. Catch you on the inside.